Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's The List and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here. It is the list and your boy, number 25, the quarter century mark already, Jimmy. Yeah, man. That comes up really, really fast. You yeah, know? You, you got an echo. I got to fix it. Oh, yeah. Go per, ahead. Per usual. Here we go. Yep. Fixed. Good job. Good Who job. Who needs Nigel? Nigel, you're fired on your vacation. He never needs to come back. He never no. needs to come back. Melissa filled in today. She did good. We ran a quick test. Everything went well. There you go. There you go. I want to say off the top that I have a surprise announcement oh today. Boy. But I'm going to make the surprise announcement at the end of the show. I had forgotten all about it until you mentioned it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. You did. I'm sure. So uh, I, really I want to wait. I want to wait till the end of the show because I want to, I want to get you thinking, play up the dramatics a little bit. I have a surprise announcement. So... Anybody that's not watching this live, if you want, you have the ability to like fast forward to the end. You can listen to the announcement. Then if you want, you can come back. That's cheap. That's cheap. Uh, hey, a view is a view, right? That's true. A view well, I is guess a it view. doesn't matter. No. So, so there's that. We got a lot uh, to talk about today, Jimmy. Oh, I, we're not even going into wrestling for like at least 10 minutes. Cause well, I, I, I want to get a few stuff. things out of the way. First off, some cheap plugs. Go we got sure. coverage all weekend. Ring of Honor, best in the world tomorrow night, which snuck up on me. And then Ring of Honor's like, yeah, it did sneak up on you. How about you interview everybody? So we talked to Silas Young yesterday. Uh, John Morehouse talked to War Machine, which is Ray Rowe and Hanson. Those will be up tomorrow. The Silas Young interview goes up tonight. But we did a segment called Manly or Not Manly with Silas Young, which was very good. He is one of the few guys that I was like, yeah, I would prefer you to do this interview in character. Awesome. uh, because he is the last real man of Ring of Honor. Saturday night, Bellator NYC coverage. Sunday night, UFC Oklahoma City coverage. Myself and Showdown Joe will be bringing you a post-show podcast after UFC Oklahoma City that will also cover the Bellator NYC show. Uh, I've got the debut of my new feature called Squash City, where I take a look at some of the 
all-time great ass kickings in jobber history. Pretty awesome. That's I'm good. Very excited about that. But uh, lots of cool stuff. Fightfulpods.com. You all can head over there for all of your Fightful podcast coverage. But here's the real question, Jimmy. What kind of trades are going down tonight in the world of the NBA? Um, you know what? I mainly only care about the NHL. Mm. And uh, my Edmonton Oilers traded uh, one of their star forwards this morning. So that good for them. Oh, good, because he was overpaid. So I was happy to see him get out of town. So it was all good. Um, I want to start out today by doing a public service announcement, Sean. Oh, yeah. Because I'm here, man, not only to entertain you, and when I say you, I mean Sean Rossap, <laughs> but I'm also here to occasionally educate you. We're doing this today on a Thursday, and normally we do it on Wednesday. You know what I was doing yesterday, which is why I wasn't able to do the show? You took your son to see Dr. Yamaguchi's son, and he choppy-choppy his pee-pee off. So that also happened. It, ha- it happened on a different day, and we can discuss that. No, yesterday I wasn't here, Sean, because I underwent a colonoscopy. What? That's why I wasn't here. I always knew you were full of shit. <laughs> well, after the prep, I wasn't. <laughs> Let me, let me tell you. This show's going to go so much smoother now. Yeah, after the prep, I wasn't. But no, so the reason I want to talk about this on the air is because oftentimes people, because it's human nature, you either ignore any symptoms that you might have or people are not proactive and people do not take preventative measures to prevent anything from, you know, hitting them later on in life. So I had a situation and I'm not going to get graphic, not going to get graphic, had a situation where I had a little blood coming from uh, that area, and uh, decided to get a colonoscopy done. And as it turned out, huh? Good call. Yes, and as it turned out, all it was was a mild case of hemorrhoids, if you can believe it. That's all it was. This is, oh my gosh, there's a shirt coming. (laughs) There's a shirt coming from this show. Uh, I'm glad you did that. Uh, I've, I've been fearful of my own mortality, like since I hit 30. I never worried before then. Ever since then, I'm, I don't know, I wouldn't say super worried or anything, but, you know, I fear it. I, like, I'm, like, sitting here wondering, like, how did we get to the moon 50 years ago, but we still die? How do we still die? Come on. This is all you need that's on the world right now. Well, I think once again, I think once again, like I just said, I think people oftentimes, they are not proactive and they don't take preventative measures, and so by the time things get to the point where they have a problem, they've let it go too long. Yeah. Right? I was, I was a victim and, of that. I avoided the doctor, and I woke up right. one day, and I couldn't feel three of the fingers in my hand. Uh, it's, there you go. There you happens, go. man. And, and especially over stuff like that. I mean, that could right. have been a cancer scare, Jimmy. Right. Well, it, it happened to me twice. And the first time that it happened, I thought, oh, it's nothing, and it's going to pass. And when it happened again, I was like, screw it. I'm going to get checked out. And fortunately, everything was fine. But you heard the Bret Hart story, right? I didn't. So Bret Hart a couple of years ago, and you know the actor Ben Stiller, yeah. right? Yeah. Same thing happened to him. So 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 a couple of years ago, Bret Hart and Ben Stiller, at, obviously at different times, they underwent a blood test called the PSA test, and it's a test that can uh, you can use it to try to find uh, potential prostate cancer. 
and it's not a perfect test. There, there's, there's, you know, uh, some doctors don't really like it for various reasons. But Bret Hart from that test was able to find early stage prostate cancer. Ben Stiller also found early stage prostate cancer, and they both had surgery and got it removed. Bret Hart's brother Smith, who did not do the test as early as Bret did, unfortunately by the time he did it, they found terminal prostate cancer, and he's in hospice now. So I also did the PSA. Now, the, the one thing I should say is I'm 42. I'm still considered a little young to do the PSA and to do a colonoscopy, but I did it again because of the, the symptoms that I had. So anybody that's listening to this show, if you've ever had any kind of problems, you should get it taken care of. And I think they say if you're African-American, uh, 40 plus, I believe, for a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. And if you're, uh, if you're Caucasian, I think it's 50 plus. Yeah, guys, please, so. please get that checked out. We've lost viewers, friends, family. Uh, hey, the reason I'm growing out my hair is cancer related. So, uh, now I gotta tell you, we definitely encourage you all to get checked out. The hair is distracting me a little bit and, and, and I'm not going to lie. You remind me of Ronald McDonald from those commercials in the eighties. Because you know? I'm beautiful. That's exactly why. That's exactly why. That's a hell of a do. You might need, he was saying off the air, Sean was saying off the air, somebody that makes headbands offered to give him a headband. Yeah, you might you might want to go ahead and and consider that because it's getting out of control. If there's enough demand for next week's show, I'll wear a headband. Damn it! Hey, I wanted to extend my condolences, by the way, to Titan FC and Brian Levick. Brian Levick was the PR guy for Titan FC, so if you ever saw us interview any of their guys, uh, that's the guy that put me in touch with them back before. Way before Fightful, way before any other place I worked, he was very, very good to work with. He is actually the person who put me in touch with Matt Riddle. So indirectly, he had a a pretty large influence even on this site today with uh, the broadcast that we ran for several months because I I wouldn't have known Matt on a personal level if not for Brian Levick. So uh, Titan FC has a GoFundMe up to help. Uh, his wife and young children. So, uh, guys, if you all don't mind, share that. Brian was a very good dude. I know that Showdown Joe worked with him as well, and Showdown Joe said there wasn't a bad bone in his body. So, condolences for that. Guy. Yeah, that's that's too bad. That's too bad. Uh, and then also, very quickly, I want to move on and say, yes, we did the circumcision, Sean. And I got to tell you, man. There are some people out there that are a little hateful, Sean. Oh, my God, yeah. little hateful. And, you know, this is one thing about social media that we've had to come to accept is that sometimes in the world of social media, people will comment on topics that they might be a little uninformed about or they might be a little uneducated about. And that's life, and you just have to deal with it. Um, So I just want to say one thing to the people that were really ripping on me for doing this. This was not a whim. This was not a situation where I woke up one morning and I said to my <laughs> wife, let's get little Jimmy circumcised. Wasn't like wait, that. Wait, 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 When you say little Jimmy, who we talking about here? Yeah, no, don't even try it. All right, <laughs> don't even try it. Who we talking about here? Did you, this did was you something. Put, did, you, did you do a double header? Pun uh, completely intended? Uh, I was already taken care of years ago, Sean. <laughs> So we, uh, oh, Jesus, this was something we decided to do. And I, and I don't need to tell my family business because it's nobody's business, but I will say this. We have had friends and family members later in life. I'm talking young, uh, older children or young adults who had to get it done because of uh, infection and because of, because of health issues. And let me tell you something. It's a very painful traumatic experience when you're of that age 
And I talked to my family doctor about this. I talked to friends who had it done to their children. I did a lot of research. I looked at the risks and the benefits. This is not a whim. This is something that we did a lot of planning out for. And, uh, and it went perfectly well. As a matter of fact, my kid did not cry during the procedure. He did not cry after the procedure. And there was no blood. It was... That's good. Went swimmingly, Sean. So I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention that. Hey guys, nothing wrong with having a hog hood, but man, don't shame Jimmy. I saw that and I was like, yeah. geez, man. People are hateful without even knowing why. That's just this human nature again with, with social media. So it's, whatever. And, and again, and again, man, for, for anybody that doesn't believe in it and if you don't want to do it to your kid, that's fine. That's your business. I don't, I don't judge you guys. This was a decision we made. Worked out great. Uh, and I think we also should talk about J.J. Dillon. Yeah. I know. So I have a mutual friend uh, who introduced me to J.J. Dillon. That's how I was able to get him to do the podcast. And his mutual friend hit me up on Monday, and he said, I uh, just wanted to let you know J.J. just got a podcast deal for, for a, a weekly podcast, and our show, they believe, was the catalyst for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I heard about it, and I said, you know what? That's cool, man. I mean, I'm not I'm not upset. We were only using JJ once or twice a month. No big deal. So good for him. I texted JJ about once every five weeks, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I texted him. I said congratulations, and he said thanks for understanding, and good luck to him. It's going to be on MLW Radio. When does it start? Is it next week? I'm not sure. I know it's hosted by Rich Brennan, but uh, I'm so happy for JJ because yeah, I mean. It's similar to the deal that we have, but he's going to get paid more frequently. So, because I mean, with with us, we we tried the hour long thing, right? And you know, it just wasn't it wasn't a good fit. I think it'll be a good fit there. Uh, JJ is such a great storyteller, and I know that his legacy is important to him, and people remembering sure. him is important to him. So, I think this will go a long way. So, we're sure. going to have we'll, we'll still have a couple of uh, JJ clips left, and. Who knows? I mean, we've got I've got probably two or three hours of footage of JJ. We may have another one down the line. Who knows? But I'm so yep. happy for him. I reached out to him and uh, he he thanked me for supporting the his venture. So yeah, sure, all, sure. awesome for him. Awesome for now, him. Now let me ask you this question, Sean. Mm-hmm. Our show last week got us a little bit of attention. Yeah, it sure did. With uh, with Jim Cornette's email to me, uh, have you talked to Vince Russo? And has he heard the email? Or has he read the email, or has he heard the show? Okay, so, gosh, I don't know how much of this I was supposed to say, but, you know, Vince and I don't, like, stay in constant contact or anything. Mm-hmm. I'll, outside of the filming we do, I'll talk to him maybe once here and there. So, boy, this is a story all on its own. He was the subject of the Something to Wrestle With podcast with Conrad and uh, Bruce Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And... He was invite. He wasn't very happy about it. He was actually quite unhappy about it. And Conrad and Bruce invited him to their their Sunday show. And I messaged Vince and I said, "Listen, I know there's going to be a lot of negative about you on this show. There's going to be some positive about you on this show as well. Doing that is a positive career move. Whether they say good or bad things about you, this is a positive career move Absolutely. for you because they get a." Lo- and here's the thing. I know Vince didn't want to go to that show because who wants uh-huh. to walk into a room of hundreds of people that, are, that may mock you? Mm-hmm. But I know Conrad Thompson very, in a very limited manner, like I've interacted with him here and there. I highly doubt that Conrad Thompson would have facilitated that type of environment. Like He would have done his best to, to make it as 
welcoming for Vince as possible. Vince didn't go, and he had, like, his his response video, which at that point I I decided, you know, we're going to stop giving this whole situation attention. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, best of luck to Bruce, best of luck to Conrad, best of luck to Vince and that. Mm -hmm. Um, But... So you know why I'm asking you this, right? You know why I'm asking you this. Oh, yeah, it all ties together. So All um, of it ties together. This just came out. But wait, that... well, here, here, let me let me finish my story. Okay, okay. Vince called me after he was invited on that, and he said, "Hey," and I told you about this. Have you ever thought about doing that type of show with me, where we go live? And I was like, "Yeah, I'd be open to it. Sure, why not? It would have to make sense. It would have to be. We'd have to get good advance ticket sales. It'd have to be in markets that make sense. It would have to do all that. And you know, he wanted some fightful involvement." But in that, I we we spoke about it, and I mentioned. I pretty much, I pretty much shot it down. Yeah, that was pretty much the end of it. Yeah, that was pretty much the end of it. Yeah. Just you know, traveling isn't a big thing for me. This is my job, and this is what I like to do. Yeah, but that but wasn't I, my issue. My my issue was that the shows that Bruce Pritchard does, and again, yeah. no disrespect to Vince Russo, the shows that Bruce Pritchard does, they are on behalf of his podcast, and they are promoting his podcast. Yes. Russo has his own podcast on Podcast One. Yeah. Why would I want to find a show when he's just going to promote it on his own podcast? It just doesn't make sense. That's true. That's very yeah. that's very true. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe you could uh, get a sparring session between me and Vince out of the uh, out of the live shows. But anyway, it was then that I brought up. Hey, did you know that Jimmy had, pa- had sent this offer? And I mentioned what Jim said, and Vince was like, Vince was like, ah, oh, jeez. Like the jelly thing and all that. Uh, now let me ask you this question: Did you have that conversation with him prior to June sixteenth, which would have been uh, almost about a week ago? I think I did. Yeah, I think it was the day after Conrad and Bruce, uh, or, or maybe it was it was the, when they were inviting him. But yeah, it was before last Friday, or it may you know, have been. Tra- it may have been early on Friday. I don't know. I keep trying to fix my shot, and I keep on making it worse. So I can't tell who's in the background. Yeah, I keep fixing it on my damn software, and you keep screwing (laughs) it up. Because I'm trying to get them both in the shot, and now I can only see Ellsworth. So I don't have them both in the shot anymore. They're they're both in the shot. I have adjusted it accordingly. Okay, good. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. So the reason I'm asking if, if Russo heard about the email was because on June 16th, Vince Russo filed an order of protection against Jim Cornette at the Posey County Superior Court in the state of Indiana, alleging that he had been a victim of stalking. Uh, And supposedly it was based on Cornette's podcast on June 15th for uh, MLW Radio when he promised that he'd have a gift for Vince Russo. And I was just kind of curious if if the email that Jim sent me played a role in it or not, given what Jim said. So I would imagine Jim calling his wife a crack whore had more to do with it. Right. And, you know, right. I see, here's the thing. I, I wanted to stay out of it and stuff because anything that I say would be like, oh, well, you work with Vince. Vince is your buddy. Me and Vince work together. I get along with him. I've gotten along right. with Jim and Limited. But I'm like, man, the dude talks about Jim. He talks about wanting to murder Vince, saying he would do it if he could get away with it. It brings up his wife and his kids. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, you know, you could get on Vince for a lot of stuff. I don't like the shit Vince has said about Ryan Satin or Wade Keller. 
two people right. that I like and respect and who are very good at what they do. I don't right. like his his comments in regards to like is pretty homophobic comments, which we addressed on our show and said we distance ourselves. We got yeah. thirty people working for this website. Not what everybody says is going to represent everybody else, just like any other outlet. But I'm sitting here wondering, like, what has Vince done in the past six, seven years to bring this type of stuff on? Mm-hmm. Saying I dream about murdering you. I your wife's. A, you're saying things about his wife and his kids. What mm-hmm. has he done to cause that? Well, it's he hasn't. It's a gimmick. It is content. Mm-hmm. And Vince released that video where he like was a smart ass to to Jim Cornette and. That didn't help matters, but I mean, there was no threat of violence. It was it was weird. Jim said that he wanted to fight Vince for five thousand dollars, or said that if Vince could take the five thousand dollars, he could keep it. But turned right. down an opportunity to meet him face to face for ten thousand dollars. You've got a guy who doesn't want to fight in Vince Russo, and mm-hmm. a guy who couldn't fight his way out of a fucking paper bag in Jim Cornette. Yeah, and I, I want to say one thing about that. I want to say one thing about insane. that. So. One piece of criticism that we got to this whole thing, there were a lo- several people that, that posted comments and said that uh, they thought that we did this as, pu- as a publicity stunt because Jim Cornette, I guess, had come out in the past and said that for no amount of money would he do an appearance with Vince Russo. So they think that us sending the email was intentional uh, to get publicity for the podcast. And I got to be honest with you, I had no idea that Jim Cornette had ever said that he wouldn't do anything with Vince Russo because I don't listen to his podcast. So I had no idea. Like I, I genuinely thought we had a shot to get him to do uh, to get him to do uh, some kind of a debate. The only thing I knew is what you told me about about kayfabe commentaries. That's it. Yeah. I didn't know anything else. So I my my offer was genuine. So that was that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a stupid situation. And now here's the here's the thing. I saw the the order. He got a protection order. Yeah. Here's how I feel about it. If Vince uses this as content, him getting this, mm. that's scummy. That's shitty, that's right. wrong, and that's bad. If he legitimately right. wants to protect himself and or his wife, completely understandable. Right, right. Completely I understandable. Think- but if he gets on his podcast and he goes, this is why, blah, 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 <laughs> then I, I'm, not, I, I'm not behind that. Is he going to say, you see... Or you people. I'm going to be honest with you, bro. That's what he'll say. And <laughs> yeah, he does say that. He does I say can't that. get behind using that as content. Right. Uh, in Kentucky, what happened would be more in the longs of, along the lines of harassing communications or terroristic threatening than it would be um, than it would be stalking. But I don't know if that's what he had to check on the thing. That's where I draw the line. If he's trying to protect himself and his family, good, whatever. Awesome. But, Let's move on. Let's move on. But yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. And yeah, yeah I got David Bixenspan in our chat saying, "Talk about Russo's weird anti-Semitic stuff about Meltzer, bro. We just talked about his uh, homophobic comments, so don't troll my chat, Bix." Yeah, no, we don't need to talk about it anymore. It's already been covered. Let's get to the list this week. And of course, you know what the first thing is on the list, Sean, that we got to talk about. We got to talk about the women's money in the bank. From the Money in the Bank pay-per-view and the James Ellsworth controversy. Now, um, I saw your post-Money in the Bank uh, podcast. I saw your post-SmackDown podcast. 
I know that Anna Bauert is pretty passionate uh, in her belief about, you know, what they did. And I think Alex was was very uh, heated about it as well. Uh, I fully understand, Sean, how the women in the match could be upset that it was, you know, the first of its kind. And it was kind of a pioneering type of event. And they had a man go up and pull the briefcase down because uh, the woman was, you know, supposedly too injured to climb the ladder. I get how people are upset about it. Right? You paying attention because you're typing something. Yeah, I'm paying attention. I'm sitting okay, here listening good. to you. You're talking about the women's money in the bank, Anna Bauert, how people are passionate about it. This is my fucking job, Jimmy. <laughs> I pay yeah, attention. What were you typing? What were you typing? Are you I like was in a typing chat or a novel about how you were about to call me out for not paying attention even though I was. I'm glad you were. I'm, glad I'm you promoting were. a damn podcast on Twitter if you got to Is that what you're doing? Okay, that's good. That's good. I thought you were ordering a pizza or something. It's like I, I had wish. to make sure... Do they do pizza delivery where you live? Can you get pizza delivery? <laughs> it's funny they they don't right here, but they don't. They've had a couple of failed places like about ten minutes away who tried. Mm. All right, Monster Pizza, I miss you. I miss so you. if you want food, you have to go get it. Yes. Right. Okay. okay. Definitely. See, living in Toronto, I can get literally anything sent to my door. So, yeah, I know and you I'm, can get groceries sent to your door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Anything. Yeah. So anyway, um, like I was saying, I understand people are upset about, about that finish. But I'm sure you're going to be surprised to hear this, Sean. I had no problem with it. You know why I had no problem with it, Sean? What? Because it's pro wrestling. And because this is WWE. And WWE is not NXT. WWE cares less about the in-ring product. They care more about the storylines and about the drama. And that's just how it is. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was going through my mind the other night thinking about examples of things that WWE has done that you could say have crossed the line, right, in terms of creative. And this yeah. is just off the top of my head. This, is, this was done with zero research, just off the top of my head. And the first one I thought of was the Jake Roberts angle from 96, when uh, he was battling addiction, so they had him do a storyline with Jerry Lawler over alcohol. Uh, that was one. What about Michael Cole when he mocked the death of Jerry Lawler's mother? And Lawler was very close to his mom, and his mom had just passed, and they used that in storyline. And then what about when Jim Ross got Bell's palsy? And not only did they use it in storyline, but they actually used it in an attempt to turn JR heel. Yeah. So when you think about that kind of stuff, the fact that it was a women's match and, and a man went up and grabbed the briefcase kind of fails in comparison when you think about, you know, how they kind of crossed a line on it. Um, the other thing I think about it, too, is, when, you know, and again, I can understand people being upset because they're going to do a rematch uh, and it kind of makes the first match look less important. I'll tell you this. I think Carmella needs to win the rematch. Because I think that if she doesn't, it's going to make her look that much worse. And it's going to make the outcome of the first match look that more meaningless. So I think Carmella needs to win the rematch. Jeff Hawkins said something that I thought made a lot of sense uh, on one of the shows you guys did. might have been the, the post-pay-per-view show. He, he said a lot that, of things that make sense. You know, well, there you go. Well, one thing he said was, and this kind of goes back to the territory days. He said that the, a bigger issue in his mind is the whole killing the town theory from the territory days. And is WWE doing this kind of booking going to kill the town? Are they going to kill St. Louis as a as a drawing card? And so I'm curious to see what happens when they return to St. Louis, because not only did the hometown guy lose, uh, but they did that outcome of that matchup. So, but I had no problem with it because again, it's WWE. It's 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 theater to them. To them, to them, the drama supersedes the in ring product, and that's just how it is. 
Yeah, initially, and see, I here's what I told Alex when we discussed it privately. I said, I will never Goldberg Lesnar myself again. I'll right. never react in that manner. Right. Because you can't. As, especially as a journalist, I got to be, I got to see the, I don't want to say see the future, but I got to let things play out a little bit more. But that, I was like, all time terrible decision. I think right. that decision may have been worse than this one, looking back, especially how the ratings were affected, how the YouTube views were affected. Right. Would I have done it a little differently? Probably. But they were able to take this and parlay it into a storyline that was the biggest one on the show. That's right. The decision of uh, redoing Money in the Bank, that YouTube clip got more than both of the WWE Championship angles on the show combined. It cracked yep. a million views. That never happens with women's angles or matches on WWE SmackDown or Raw. That is unbelievable. That's awesome. That is a way that uh, we look at on Fightful.com. Who's going out of their way to see what? And that, that's a really good gauge. The ratings were up, or the viewership was up 20%. Right. I mean, they, they also addressed the elephant in the room, if you want to call it that, because they addressed the fact that it was the first match of its kind, and they addressed the fact that it was a man that went up the ladder and took the briefcase. Everything that people were thinking, they addressed it on the show. Uh, so it's not like they completely, you know, just disregarded everything and created Carmella out there with the, with the briefcase. They addressed the whole thing. And like you said, they made it the focal point of the show. So based on all that, I had no issue with it. But again, uh, in my opinion, Carmella needs to win that rematch. I think anybody else winning the rematch, the crowd is going to look at her as even as being that much more of a joke or that much less of a of a challenger. So she's got to win, and she's got to win without Ellsworth's involvement. They can't pull that shit again, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I completely agree, and I, I just I, I understand. Why some are upset about it, but it, the point that I brought up is we're going to keep having these historic first-time-evers. Mm-hmm. And at what point do you draw the line? What point can men be involved? What time? At what point can you do this type of thing? I understand. I wouldn't have had Ric Flair involved in the WrestleMania match. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have done that either. But, like, is it the first hog pin match for women that, that they can get involved in? Or, like, like what? like, when is it okay? But... I also understand, and some of the comments reinforced what we said. There were a lot of people that say, why are you spending so much time on this? Why are you social justice warriors? Because I watch Anna deal with this shit every day, every single day. Not just that, not just that, but it it became a story when the talent started speaking out about it because somebody like Nia Jax tweeted about it. And I realized that some of those tweets were storyline-driven. Like Becky Lynch tweeted, but it was kind of storyline driven and and, uh, Bailey tweeted and it was kind of storyline driven. I feel like Nia Jax's wasn't because she's been pretty, uh, pretty honest with her grievances. So I think as soon as the talent starts complaining about it and and showing that they have an issue with it, you have to address it. We're not going to spend an hour talking about it. I think we've spent five, ten minutes and that's enough. But it's what it is. It it did become a story. You did have to talk about it. Yeah, and I thought it was a good story up until that last promo where they all interrupted each other and all that crap. But Oh, Tamina. God, that was, that was because Char- you know what? When Charlotte said that line about you're going to look like Ellsworth because Charlotte's got better delivery than Tamina, not even close. When she said, you're going to look like Ellsworth. And the way she said, it, she got a pot from the crowd. And then Tamina, who was, 
I don't know if she was off in her own world for you know the old Simpsons cartoons where Homer's got a thought bubble and in the thought bubble there's a cow sitting against a tree and it's got a fly flying around its head. I think Tamina spent five minutes thinking about that cow sitting against the tree, and as soon as it was her time to speak, she like you know shit. What's my line? That was brutal. Yeah, like like the thing is, I (laughs) I've been really tough on Tamina for. Years. Oh, yeah, I, I said Tamina. I think it's Tamina. You're yeah, right. It is. It is yeah. for for years. But the last two or three weeks, I thought that she'd done some of her best work, and then that happened. I was like, no. I mean, give her props for giving her body that match. You saw that bruise on her arm. Sure. So so give her props for putting her body uh, in that match like that. But yeah, no, they're they're not all supposed to be superstars, Sean. You know. Hey, I'm with you. Do you want to get to the JJ thing now before we move on to the next topic? You should let me easily transition into these. Because but. I time out the show, Sean, all right? I can't let you dilly-dally and, uh, tw- and being you know on the tweeter and all that stuff. I time out the show to make sure that we hit our points. So do your job. Go ahead. Do your segue. I don't know if I want to. So you just want to see her looking at each other for a few minutes? Now let's hear about J.J. Dillon talking about his uh, interactions with Vince Russo in WCW back in the day. Yeah, if I had to name somebody else off the top of my head, I, I, I can't. Vince Russo at one time. Vince Russo at one time when I was still at WCW uh, came to my doorway and had a screaming match. It was one-sided. He screamed, cut a promo on me in my doorway. Now, I, my secretary is sitting outside a uh, short distance away. It was another office staff. And when he was done, he turned and stormed away. And uh, there, were, there weren't what very were, many what were your impressions? What were your impressions of Vince Russo when he came in? Were you familiar with him from your WWF run? Was not real familiar with him, but I... When I worked at the what was then the WWF, talent relations didn't cross over that much. He was actually uh, lead writer the magazine for the magazine. Year. Yeah, correct. And so um, he he had a direct a lot of direct involvement with Vince McMahon, and because Vince was hands on in all aspects of the business, and I and I didn't uh, I knew he was there, knew he was important, and. When I went to WCW, you know, we struggled at first. I wanted anybody and everybody that I thought that I could have join our team to try and take us to the next level. And I had a mutual friend that was still working uh, in Stanford call me and said that Vince Russo at that point was not happy. And the way I understood it, he felt that, which I, I I know to be true, that Vince McMahon has a tendency to take credit for everything that's good, does not take the blame for anything that's bad, which makes him very sound very familiar to our current president of the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, doesn't accept criticism well. But Vince Russo um, has an ego, and, and, that, and that doesn't make him a bad guy. Dusty Rhodes had an ego, and Dusty Rhodes and I were – very, very close personal friends. Particularly as it as it pertained to Russo, though, like, did you all butt heads often, or was that just an isolated incident? It was an isolated incident, and I'm just someone that 
I'm not confrontational by nature. It just was something that, and and what happened was there was a, a show. Oh, it was up in New York on Long Island. I think in Long Island in Manhattan, and they had like the who's who. Both funks were there. They had Harley was there. They had all kinds of people there, and I was there. Baby Doll was there. Vince Russo was there. And they said, oh, we want to put the managers together. We'll put you and Russo together. And I said, I don't, I never make any demands of an appearance. I said, just for comfort level. I don't mind sitting at the same table. And I understand your logic. Just don't sit us next to each other. Put Baby Doll in the middle if you want. And that's what they did. So the, the door was to my right in this room. We were back towards the one corner. Russo was at one end of a long table that you would, you know, a portable table you'd set up. Baby Doll was next to me, and I was at the other end. In the course of several hours that we were there signing and what have you, twice Vince got up and went out, I assumed to use the restroom, and we never made eye contact, never had any verbal communication. And I want to say it was the third time when he went out. When he came back, he stopped in front of me, turned, approached me, put his hands on the table, as I remember, and looked at me and he said, I owe you an apology. And he said, I was out of line. Uh, I owe you an apology. And I said, well, it's been a number of years. And I said, if you're man enough to come up to me and to say, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm sorry, I'm man enough to say, hey, whatever feelings I may have had in the past are now done right now. This will never be mentioned again. And I reached my hand out. He reached his hand. We shook hands. And uh, when I see him, I'll it's an appearance or something. I wave hi to him, no, no ill feelings. And when Vince Russo wrote a book, he referenced that conversation in his book and said that he apologized to me that he was wrong and that there were no lingering ill feelings. And what was so interesting was that conversation took place while Baby Doll was still sitting there. And when Vince went, I, 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 I take that back, he might have been on the way out of the room because when he left the room, Baby doll put one hand on me and I looked at Baby doll and, and I remember just like it was yesterday, she said, I bet you never thought that conversation would take place. And she had this big smile and I said, uh, Yeah, yeah, that blindsided me. But I, I'm glad, you know, I don't, I, I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to be mad at anybody. And so now my list is short. It's Eric Bischoff and Brad Siegel. What happened was Vince's, which is, you can be friends with somebody and agree to disagree. And Vince had a philosophy on what he envisioned television would be like, how it should be produced, what the content should be. And I'm more old school. And I believe in a yeah. couple hour program, there should be X amount of wrestling content rather than this constant drama and trying to outsmart the people by doing something they don't anticipate it. But that's what Vince has been very successful at. So Kevin Sullivan, who is one of the great minds in the business, came to me and says, are you watching the television program? 
Next week, put a stopwatch to how much wrestling content you have in the first two hours. And like I said, wow, man, I, I didn't realize that we have next to nothing in the way of wrestling content. So I said, I'll, I'll have a talk with Vince. So we all, and I didn't want it to be confrontational. So we had like a general meeting, which Vince was in it, I was in it, Kevin was in it, and there was a bunch of other people. And I, and I just made the point that I'm a little bit concerned that we don't have as much wrestling content as we should be. And I think long-term for the health of the program, maybe we should have a little bit more wrestling content. And Vince put his back against the wall and said, hey, I'm here and it's my way or the highway. And wow, he drew a red line in the sand that I, I didn't anticipate. And then that's when kind of, I don't want to say battle lines, but he, that was the approach that he took going forward. And basically, uh, you know, Brad Siegel and, and Eric Bischoff at that point were with his approach to the business. Boo! Would you fall asleep, Jimmy? Are you paying attention? What did JJ say? JJ was talking about Russo, how Russo... Gave him a little promo because he didn't like the meeting that was called. And now he apologized years Wrong. later. Oh, really? Oh, really? Wrong. What was said, Sean? Yeah, pretty much that. That's right. That's right. You know what? Props to Vince Russo for at least being man enough to apologize, right? Because, you know, back in those days, sure. Vince, you know, he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. He thought he was the man going into WCW, and they made him head of creative. And all of a sudden, being part of a committee didn't sit well with him. And, you know, I, I think in some ways he was a lot different then than he is now. I think he's a little bit more mellowed out now. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, oh, I, w- I would definitely say that. I think 10 years ago, his reaction to the Cornette thing would have been much different absolutely but it's it's kind of inconsistent yeah i mean like i just wish all of those involved would just be a little more mature about it you ever seen the movie uh 40 year old virgin yeah i love that movie so that's one of my favorite movies and i've I've seen it many many times do you know the scene at the end when he finally has sex and then they do the music number yeah and they're all wearing like uh hippie outfits or on them they're on a mountaintop Cornet and Russo need to do that. They do. They need to like everybody. Like, everybody keeps saying it's a work. It's a work. Where's the payoff? Yeah, no, no. They if have anything, a it's well. If anything, like you said, it's a work for Cornet because it keeps content uh, mm-hmm. going. But anyway, we've talked enough about them. Yeah, we, we got to move on. I want to talk about the state of talent in WWE today, in terms of their mindset uh, and in terms of their drive versus ten, fifteen years ago. Sure. So. Oftentimes we talk about how there are problems with the WWE product because of booking, right? And because of creative problems. But something has come to light recently uh, that has to do with another issue, and that, again, being the mindset of the young talent in WWE. Uh, The Big Show was uh, a guest on the June 14 edition of Chris Jericho's podcast on Podcast One, and he said a few things about the young talent that he has seen in the company today. One thing he said is that the kids now can't take criticism from management. And he was talking about how back in the day when he was coming up through WWE, he would have this man chew him out and he would have the Undertaker chew him out and make him a better worker, essentially. And this is something Big Show said. He said, that's one thing about the newer kids. They can't take an ass chewing because they fold like aluminum foil. 
Now, this made me think of something that I remember Daniel Bryan saying on the CM Punk DVD. You know, the Best of the World DVD? Yeah. So I remembered something that Daniel Bryan had said, and I went back and, and watched the footage because I wanted to get that quote. Uh, and you got to keep in mind, this is 2012. This was five years ago. And Daniel Bryan already recognized problems then, five years ago. Uh, and what he said was, he said, there are a lot of people who just do this for money, lots of them. There are guys who are hiding in the back right now, hoping that they don't get picked for a Superstars match tonight because they just like to chill out and earn their money and not do anything. And he was talking about how Punk had drive and, and, and wanted more than to just be on the roster. Uh, I think this is a big part of the problem. And another thing that show said was uh, he said that everybody now, they're all friends. Uh, he said, uh, when you don't like the guy next to you, you're not going to go out there and take it easy. You're going to work hard because you want to outdo that guy. So he said 15, 20 years ago, a lot of the guys hated each other, so they wanted to outdo each other in the ring. And you can think of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, right? They were the yeah. top two guys in terms of in-ring product. They were the top two back in the late 90s, and it's because they hated each other and wanted to one-up each other. So this is the part of the problem now. Everybody, they're all buddies now. And, and now, you know, the, the, the drive to want to one-up each other is not the same. And you see it now a lot of the times when guys have a big match. They come through the back, and everybody applauds. Yeah. Because they're all friends now. I don't know. So, did, did you watch? Uh, did you watch any of the draft reactions last year from NXT? Uh, like, uh, yeah, I mean a little bit. I remember like a people bit, like, are Balor. getting picked, and like Nia Jax got picked, and she was surprised. And Riddick Moss is over there, like, what? Oh, I mean that's uh, good. Maybe. I don't think it's good. Make him look like a giant dickweed. But I think. Well, I think a couple things. There have always been people like what Daniel Bryan mentioned. There have always been people who would sure. rather do that. And I think that Big Show's thing are very blanket statements. And the thing is, what does it matter if they can take criticism if they can't bust through a glass ceiling? If they get themselves over and it doesn't matter. What what does it matter? Big Show is a guy who let himself get so out of shape that they had to send him to OVW. Yeah. So, I mean, he was once that guy. He's how old? And he said it took an ass-chewing from John Cena to get himself in shape. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe he's one of those guys at times. Everybody can be one of those guys. It's possible. I mean, Everybody I think when you with think the about... right level of criticism is going to not like it. There's constructive criticism. Like, if people pop up, uh, the, the thing which we need to put on a shirt, you opinionated wrongfully. That's not that's not good criticism. What does opinionated wrongfully? That is an oxymoron. But if somebody said, Sean, I would like for you to take this approach. Sean, I would like for you to do this different, that different. That's diff That's constructive criticism. That helps. Well, let me they let me say this. Yeah. Let me say this. So when you think about over the last five ten years, mm -hmm. the guys who you can tell when they're out there that they have that hunger, and you can tell that they want to be the best uh, guys like obviously John Cena. I mean, he was the hardest worker of anybody in the company, a guy like Kevin Owens. You can see that in him, a guy like Seth Rollins. You can see that in him. I'm not even going to say Roman Reigns because I don't see that in Roman Reigns. I don't, yeah. but I see it in, I see it in Seth Rollins and I see it in Kevin Owens. Tell me if you think this is coincidence or not. Kevin Owens is known to be a loner who travels by himself. Seth Rollins is known to be a loner that travels by himself. John Cena was a loner for years that traveled by himself. These guys were not, as Big Show put it, hanging out at Panera Bread 
and and all that stuff. Do you think there's any coincidence that the guys that are all hanging out might be happy with their spot? I'm not saying that they don't that they are not hard workers because being a WWE talent, you have to be a hard worker with that schedule. But do you think the guys that they they enjoy the camaraderie and they enjoy playing the video games? Do you think they're happy with their spot well, they, as opposed to as opposed to a guy like Owens or Rollins who are more of a loner type and they clearly want to be the best? Well, they have to enjoy playing video games because WWE makes a lot of money off of them playing video games now with Up, Up, Down, Down. But you get my what, point. Though. Like I mentioned, it's always been a mixed bag. It still is a mixed bag. I'll give you another example: Randy Orton, loner. At times, has been flat out not motivated. Yeah, but you know what, and Randy Orton to me, I, I think Randy Orton is an example of a guy who was hungry in his younger days. Yeah, and but I think- still today, he gets so pissed off. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Somebody messes up something in his match. Well, then he gets motivated. Then he gets angry. But then the next day, he sleepwalks to the ring, sleepwalks yeah. through a match, then criticizes people who don't. No, you know what? I, th- I think when he gets angry in a match, a lot of that, I don't know if that's because of his drive or if that's just because he wants to be the, you know, the ring general and, and he, he's a perfectionist that way. But I think in his younger years, he clearly was driven. He wanted to be the best. And he had his, his old man, too, that he had, to, he had to overcome that legacy. I think Randy Orton is an example of a guy, once he made it, once he was making that money, he kind of put put the foot off the gas a little bit, I think, whereas Cena kept going and Cena kept going and Cena kept going. But uh, I don't know. I mean, again, even a guy like Finn Balor, and, and I have nothing but respect for Finn Balor, I don't see that hunger in Finn Balor. I don't see a guy in Finn Balor that's going to bust his ass to be the best. I see a guy that is happy to be there. Tell me if you think I'm right or wrong, but – a Seth Rollins or a Kevin Owens, you can see that in those guys. You can see it okay. in their promos. You can see it in the way they carry themselves. And so, who knows? And again, Roman Reigns, like I said, I don't see that in Roman Reigns. I see, in Roman Reigns, I see a guy that knows he's been gifted a spot, and he's happy to be there. And that's that's my opinion. I'm, hey, I'm with you. But they, they've got that glass ceiling that is sometimes sometimes you can't break through it. They have proven over and over again that – if they don't want you in that role, you're not going to be. It's true. Absolutely. And Daniel Bryan fits that spot because Daniel Bryan was another guy that 
was given so little and he had so much going against him, but every time they gave him a, the opportunity, he knocked it out of the park. You know, he was he was a good example of that. And they would love anyway. to have you believe that they orchestrated that whole thing, and they did not. Right. Right, right. Now, I want to say one thing, too, and I don't know if this belongs here or if this belongs under the nickname section. Uh, going back to Seth Rollins, again, I, I have a lot of respect for Seth Rollins, and like I said, I see the hunger in Seth Rollins. But uh, he said something when he was plugging the cover of that video game on Raw, and clearly he was just reciting a promo that was written for him, obviously. He said, uh, this is not just my cover, this is our cover. And when he said that, I just had to lower my head in shame. I couldn't believe he said something so so. I thought cheesy. he cut a pretty good white meat babyface promo, yeah, considering, because he, he, talked, he talked about redemption and all that stuff. And for yeah. him, it makes a lot of sense, because... He is literally the poster child for selling out in a wrestling sense. But I thought it was also good that Bray Wyatt called him on that. He said, You're, you just talked about not being in corporate chill. Then you chilled corporately. Right. So I, I didn't mind it as much. Usually I would have hated that type of thing. Right. But for if... I, you know, Seth Rollins, the motivational speaker, does not have legs. But No, he's, he's a better heel. He is a better heel. Yeah. But the thing but, is, he could have came in as a giant baby face last year. Yeah, after his injury, you mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they, they blew that from the... I mean, obviously, they're going to keep him baby face now because they need challengers for Brock. Yes. But, uh, but I think he's a better heel, personally. Uh, now, along the same lines of what we just talked about, uh, sort of, I want to talk about <laughs> something Daniel Bryan said and, uh, and get your take on it. So Daniel Bryan, was, uh, he was interviewed by NBCSports.com. And he was talking about how he thinks that WWE, in terms of the talent, needs a change of presentation. And I'm going to read this uh, quote. He said, years ago, they went through with this idea of having as much live stuff as possible on the shows. But I think when you watch, say, UFC, for example, some of the things that are the most endearing, that make you care the most about the fighters, are these backstage vignettes that get to show their real personality. You'll see great fights that people would cheer maybe because they're great fights, but the fights that have the most impact are the ones with fighters who people actually care about. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. I think that this day and age, it's harder to get guys over in front of the live crowd because the live crowd wants to interact and be part of the show. And so you're going to have the live crowd more than ever doing the what chant. You're going to have them doing the wave. You're going to have them bouncing a beach ball around. Uh, they even say you deserve it to guys that don't necessarily deserve it just because they, they want to interact and be part of the show. And again, when I read what Daniel Bryan said, just off the top of my head, I was thinking about uh, Adam Rose and Corey Graves. It's the first thing I thought. Yeah. When they were on that ESPN uh, E60 documentary called WWE Behind the Curtain, and they talked about how Adam Rose had a son with a handicap and how he was uh, uh, in his mid-30s, so he was trying to make it as an older wrestler, and how Corey Graves had to give up his in-ring career because of concussions, and Triple H approaches him and offers him a commentary uh, contract. The stories like that could have got those guys over. Adam Rose, I can't believe that they didn't play off of that in order to get him over in WWE. And even a guy like Brock Lesnar, I can understand that live they want Paul Heyman to be his mouthpiece because they're afraid of what Brock's going to say because Brock doesn't give a shit what he says. But whenever they do the pre-tape vignettes, that's when they let Brock talk because they can edit his stuff. And Brock is awesome when he talks. So what do you think about what he says about how they need to change the presentation and they need to do more, uh, essentially more pre-tapes that get over the person uh, behind the, the personality? 100% correct. Right. And 
how's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Probably when Triple H takes over. Because pro wrestling can be whatever it wants to be, Jimmy. That's right. They can be, they can emulate the UFC if they want. They can work a bunch of UFC fights if they want. They can be purely acting for three hours and not have a single match. They can do whatever they want. They can go live. They can go taped. They can go scripted. They can go unscripted. Mm-hmm. But you see Conor McGregor at a press conference. You see Baron Corbin on uh, Breaking Ground. Breaking Ground became one, not just one of my favorite wrestling shows, one of my favorite television shows. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. great. I would much rather see Naomi on Talking Smack for a minute than her backstage saying, Well, I don't really like it that much, but... <laughs> Whenever I face her, she's going to feel the glow. <laughs> and I'm going to snatch her bald. Like, or hear Baron Corbin go, Worried? You think I'm worried about that little man? Obviously, you don't know about me. <laughs> I would much rather see Baron Corbin on Talking Smack say, Good job, he worked hard to get here, but I didn't have to, and I don't respect that way of coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm here you know, because I got tired or I got hurt playing pro sports, and I knew I could step into this world and dominate. They, sometimes they worry. It's, it's so funny that they worry so much about not burying somebody on promos, but then mm-hmm. they won't let them dig themselves out of the dirt. It's the old pro wrestling mentality that, like, if you put down your opponent too much, then who did you beat? But right. look at Conor McGregor. Look at Muhammad Ali. Look at The Rock, who got themselves over by saying, yeah, I'm going to beat him, and he's a nobody. Right. Sometimes you right. do that. Sometimes it works. Different personalities work. You know, when you think back to the 80s and into the 90s, they used to do in WWE those vignettes all the time in order to pump up a guy that was going to debut. They used to do it all the time. And I think back to Val Venus as an example – when they did those skits for weeks where yeah. he was with Jenna Jameson and, and, and all this stuff. And I remember vividly on Raw when they hit his music the first time and his image appeared on the screen and he came out. He got a big pop because people knew him from the vignettes. And they stopped doing it for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because they want that live element of surprise with the, with the new guy debuting. Maybe that's why. But uh, I think it goes a long way. And, I mean, they, they tried it with Emma. Obviously, she just was the wrong person to do it, but they tried it with Emma. Why couldn't they do that with guys more often so that when they come out, they've got a little bit more recognition with the audience as opposed to relying on the hardcores that saw them in NXT? Man, they screwed you know? up Emma from, from the jump after NXT. Yeah. She, yeah. That poor girl didn't have a chance. She's going to take some some rehabilitation, and I think she's talented enough, and she has the looks to pull it off, too. I mean, she's... She's pretty outstanding in both regards, but I wonder why they don't do that. Like, um, Alistair Black, I think, would be a good one. He is somebody I look at as very, very special on NXT. He's interesting. He's interesting. He's yeah. one of the, It's funny because they have two of the best strikers I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Sonya Deville, uh, although she's got some funny, quirky things, as, uh, as uh, Hilbert points out in the NXT report card, like, she does this terrible-looking shadow boxing, and, uh, like, some, like, she'll take off her gloves mid-match, I'm like, why'd you have them on in the beginning? But, then you got Aleister Black, who does this great stuff, he's got a great entrance, he's got a kind of, kind of a cool look, 
if you do the right things, you could build them up. I don't know. Sure. They, it's 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 no. there. They could do it. Along the same lines, I want to talk about American Alpha for a minute because uh, you guys on the post SmackDown podcast, you were suggesting that maybe American Alpha was being held back because they can't go- cut a good babyface promo, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's very possible, but. Again, off the top of my head, when I was watching that podcast, I thought about the British Bulldogs and I thought about the Steiner brothers. And I thought about how in the 80s, the Bulldogs were maybe the hottest team in wrestling. And they were my favorite team as a kid in the 80s. And their promos sucked. They had Lou Albano doing their promos for them. Then in the early 90s, the Steiner brothers, this is before Scott Steiner became, you know, Big Papa Pump. They also couldn't cut a promo to save their life. They got over because of the ring-ring work as well. I think sometimes, especially when you're a tag team, more so than if you're a singles guy, as a tag team, your in-ring work can do the talking for you at times. And the Bulldogs were massively over. The Steiners were arguably the biggest thing in WCW outside of Sting for a time. So why can't American Alpha just go to the ring and do their thing and get over that way? I mean, we saw how good Gable is, right, in the match with Kevin Owens. So I think some... Hey, the aforementioned Alistair Black, I think he would be good at that too. The right. funny thing is, like, I, I wanted to say this for a Fightful book set, and I will. If I were him, he's 205 pounds, but he doesn't seem like it. Yeah, he's tall, I would have yeah. him come up. I would have him Taz, Shane Douglas, uh, Neville, and beat him immediately. And, like, this guy who's run through the division gets beat by Alistair Black. I'd have him run through all of them. Then I would have him go after heavyweights. That way right. it's not the old story of... Oh, the heavyweights are going after the little guys. No, this little guy who's 205 pounds says, uh, to hell with your weight limits and all that stuff. I want everything. And you, he has the pedigree and the ability to make it as a badass dude. So do Jordan and Gable. Oh, yeah. I said this on yeah, Tuesday. Good. Like, all you got to do is put them in there with other great teams, and they're going to get over. Right, right. Just don't do yeah. the paint-by-numbers Babyface in peril. Oh, you're tagging in after eight minutes. House of Fire BS. Yep, yep. Um, moving on, you know something, Sean? We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. In in September of last year, I wrote an article for Fightful.com, and I was talking about underutilized talent with potential in WWE, and one of the names on my list, you mocked me for it, and you joked about it, Who was and it? you said, Titus O'Neil. In the uh, come ring, on. come on, no, get no, no, the no. fuck out of here, Jimmy! I, I, you, I, I, listen to you, me. piece of shit! How dare I, you? How let me dare let me you? Okay, how? you're gonna shut up and let me finish. No, what I how what dare I said you? Was, Titus O'Neil is absolute duty in I, the I, ring. Yeah, let me finish. If you go back and read the article, because you clearly have not read it, I wasn't talking about his in ring so much. I was talking about Titus O'Neil as a talent. I was talking about his look. I was talking about his ability to do PR outside of wrestling because he's really good at that. I was talking about him as an underutilized talent. And now I saw you on the Post Raw podcast. You said he's one of the most entertaining things on the show. And I thought to myself, and that bastard was mocking me when that article came out and he was joking about it. You probably and now went back and edited it. it to make it look like you said all this good stuff. He's not – this isn't a PR thing. This isn't – Philanthropy is great for that stuff. In the ring, he is absolute trash. I know this because I've spoken to several people that were like, damn, I got concussions from the guy. I never said he was an ex Shawn Michaels. I said he was an underutilized talent. That's what I said. He's not the and... next Sean Ross Sap in the ring. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's bad. He's got a great uh, hot tag. 
I saw that springboard elbow, so uh, maybe. It was pretty good. Maybe. It was pretty good. Did you see that impaler? Yeah, it was good. How about my super oh, kick? My... Also good. Oh, can you do a super kick? Can't. Who can't do a super kick? You yeah, can probably. You do, can you do a good super kick? Colon's gonna fall out or something. No, I would. I would do sweet shin music. You That's would. what I would do. You would. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it goes back to what we've talked about a thousand times. When you accentuate the accentuate the strengths oh yeah, and hide the weaknesses, and Titus now is he not one of the most entertaining things on the show? I look forward and, to everything he does on this show. And when he said "power of Tazawa," that was awesome. <laughs> did you that see what he did awesome. on Two Hundred Five Live? No, I missed he, that. He wasn't there, but it was still my favorite part of the show, and really? that involved a Rich Swan Neville match. That was even that was cool. But Tazawa was ringside, but he had this roped-off area next to the announce table with a popcorn bucket and a soda, and it said seat upgrade courtesy of the Titus brand. <laughs> it was awesome. 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 But I love that they did pull double duty on him. Like, they, they were like, okay, he's over. Let's use him to get Sheamus and Cesaro a little bit over, too, by right. beating him and Apollo. I love it. And like I said, Tazawa is perfect with them. I think that's a big part because Tazawa's facial, facial expressions and yep. his body language, he gets yep. the in-ring work, he gets the chant. Yep. I love the three guys I didn't give a single shit about three months ago. Yep. And I love yep. them. They're one of my favorite acts in WWE now. How many times have we said when you give guys a little freedom and when you let, let them be a little bit more like themselves, good things can happen? And I'm telling you, I saw that in Titus. I knew he wasn't going to be Shawn Michaels, but the guy had something. He had the look. He had the personality. How many more guys are there on that roster that they could have 10 more Titus brands in terms of popularity, you know? The thing so, is, like, Titus is running the LeVar Ball angle, the guy who's selling the $500 shoes that right. I wanted you to but the thing is, when LeVar Ball does it, it seems like an act. When Titus O'Neil does it, it seems like Titus O'Neil. Oh, yeah, and that's great. I think WWE looked at him and said, well, he's not his, – his strong suit is not in the ring. Right. But he can be strong in the ring on a hot yeah. tag. He can be strong at things. And essentially he's taken the old Abraham Washington gimmick that was supposed to manage him right. and ran with it. I love it. I think it's great. Uh can't say I like good stuff about them. I'd like to know what happened because you remember when he first created the Titus brand thing, he was getting jobbed out in 10 seconds every week. And I wonder what happened when they decided to actually give it a chance. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe somebody pitched the idea of having him be a manager instead. Yeah. Whatever it was, it's, it's working. And like you said, he is very fun to watch. And I really like, I've always liked Titus. I just, he's a likable guy. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that he's doing well. Yeah, I love it. You want to hit the nicknames? Let's do it. This is a stupid song. It just goes on and on. You might find some meaning, but you would be wrong. Stupid nicknames. What up? You know something, Sean? Last week, I heard Angel singing. Last week. And the reason I heard Angel singing is because Raw was down to 51 examples of nicknames being used, and Corey Graves only used nicknames 12 times last week. And last week I said on the show, if he can get under 10, I will send him something nice, right? Yeah. So I heard angels singing last week. This week, I think hunters came along and they shot down those angels because things fell off the rails this week. Hunter uh, Hearst Helmsley's? 
So uh, once again, that's cute. Once again, uh, thanks to Trevor Strong uh, for the stupid song, trevorstrong.org. Check him out. And thanks to Gisberto Guzzo. He's the guy that pulls the numbers for us. And I the legend. So, the legend, Gisberto Guzzo. So uh, when I turned tune into the show this week on Raw, within the first half hour, I knew that there were bad things to come. Because within the first half hour, Michael Cole had already said the big dog like 173 times. So I, I knew there were bad things to come. And as it turned out, uh, nicknames were used 63 times. So it, it was up from last week. Uh, the biggest one, the big dog, 16 times. We have BC- some breaking news. And it's worth interrupting. Sure. Mauro Ronaldo is staying with WWE as part of the NXT announce team. Really? Really? They really... Do- Wow. Wow. Good Sorry on them. to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt no. you, but I think that's... Wow. You know what? They just said the other day that he had another gig he was going to be announcing soon. So. Well, I mean, he's got a lot of options. Here, Here's what I think, Jimmy. This we'll, guy's we'll def- at the trifecta, Sean. We'll he's definitely at the trifecta. get back to uh, the, the nicknames, but he's yeah. a guy... I, I actually comically tweeted a couple weeks ago. WWE's like, hey, crybaby. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go call Bellator at Madison Square Garden and the biggest heavyweight boxing fight in years at yep. Wembley. Oh, yep. yeah, maybe I'll go work at the Tokyo Dome, too. And Mayweather. And Mayweather, Mayweather. and McGregor. He's That's calling that fight. Yeah. Oh, no, he is. It's a done deal. Oh, is he? It is, yep. Ooh. Because Showtime is doing the pay-per-view for that. He's covering that. Well, I am stoked that he's going to be on NXT because my enjoyment will go through the roof with right. him being like not having a Vince McMahon in his ear and not right. hearing Tom Phillips anymore. Wow. You know what? I think I think it came down to Morrow Morrow is a is a wrestling fan. I think he loved being part of the product. And uh, this is probably the best middle ground they found. And you, you know that Triple H in a big PR ploy said, Hey, Mayweather and McGregor, come to Raw in order to further your story. And he did it, obviously, because he wants to get the PR off of it. At least now, if they've got Moro on NXT, Moro can plug the Mayweather thing. He can plug... I don't know if he's going to plug Bellator, necessarily, but he could. You know what? Good for Moro Ronaldo, man. Good for him. Good for him, and I don't think WWE wanted New Japan to have him either, or Access, or anybody else, because his contract is up in August, and right. Jim Ross's contract with Access is up in January, so right. w, or New Japan and Access may have to get a little creative. Maybe Kevin Kelly will end up over there. If I were them, I would go maybe a little bit of a different route. But right, right. That's I, I, I like that move for several reasons. Morrow is a good announcer when he is left alone. Not left yep. alone, but left Vince McMahon, GTFO, JBL, yep. stay the hell away. Yep. But him in NXT calling that type of action is good. Tom Phillips not calling that kind of action is good. They have also yeah. taken Tom Phillips off of 205 Live. That basically leaves him on SmackDown. I think that's very good because all the criticism I give to Tom Phillips, I think they were spreading the poor guy a little thin. Possible, possible. You know, something I will admit years ago, I was not a fan of Morrow, and I actually used to find him annoying uh, because when he used to cover Strike Force back in the day, mm-hmm. I found, you know, he, he came up with names like the H-Bomb for Dan Henderson's big right hand. And yeah. I found him a little bit annoying, but as time went on, I started to respect him. Uh, and you can see the passion 
in him and you can hear it in his voice when he's calling the action and he definitely knows his shit there's no question about it he knows what the name what the moves are called and everything so yeah. good on him man I'm, I'm glad that they were able to work things out and bring him back and it's it, having a guy with that notoriety is only going to be good for wwe yeah so. oh my gosh like and i hope they no offense percy watkins is a very nice guy but i hope they replace him there too he's percy watson on screen but he is tex watson to my ears right oh my god right good for morrow good for him yeah. and i i can't recall in the history of sports an announcer who within what a month time or two months time calls the biggest boxing show uh in like you said in years calls a major mma show at madison square garden and calls a pro a pretty you know significant pro wrestling show all within like a two-month window so good for him good for him hell yeah Okay, back it's to hard, the nicknames. It's hard, it's hard to get back to the nicknames after that, that man. Was, that was some good stuff. Somebody says SRS is working us, bro. <laughs> Guys, okay, <laughs> to address that, I'm going to address the, the, the Punjabi prison thing. There was a reason I did that. It will be addressed in time, and you all will understand why. You all will understand why. It's not like some long-form troll. I'll tell Jimmy off the air, but I'll, I'll explain it. In time. You didn't uh, you didn't uh, hear the moral thing from Sports Kita, did you? <laughs> Somebody asked me if I was their source, and I was like, no betting odds are. They see the latest betting odds, and they post exclusive news on title change coming. Right, 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 right. right. All right, going back to the nicknames, now you've stolen my thunder. So all I'm going to say is Raw was up this week. Uh, Corey Graves went back to shit. He went from 12 last week to 28 this week. Uh, Michael Cole, who I find is getting worse and worse, he was at 29 this week. And like I said, he big-dogged it to death this week. Uh, SmackDown was not bad, 23 times in two hours. That's not terrible. And uh, Tom Phillips, nine times. JBL, five times. Not too bad. Now, Gisberto made a couple of notes for me. Because let me tell you, Sean, this guy, Gisberto Guzzo, he has gone back and watched Raw episodes dating back he's several legend. years he's it's true like he's watched them from several years because he wants to find trends for us right that's awesome and what he what he said he noticed is that starting in 2014 that's when nickname usage went up he said by 2015 it was getting close to where it is now and he said that uh, one thing he noticed was not only how many times they're mentioning nicknames but how many more guys are being given nicknames now compared to how it used to be and uh, uh, Gisberto speculated maybe it's because of the WWE shop. Maybe they want to have different T-shirts with different nicknames on them. I think Jeff Hawkins said that they're even calling Byron Saxton the insider now. So My, my thing is like, damn, go look at Roots of Fight and some of the cool shirts they make. And they don't have to have a bunch of stupid-ass nicknames. Right. No, you don't need it. It, it. And it is very annoying. You just don't need it. It, it. it comes off force. We've talked about it, and everybody knows it's stupid. That's why this segment exists. So... Unfortunate that they went off the rails this week. Maybe things improve next week, and uh, Corey Graves will not listen to this. But if you get below ten, I will send you something nice. That is a promise. I've, I've liked the about, I've liked the the investigative journalist uh, aspect of Corey Graves, though. Okay, I want to get to that. So let let's talk about the Enzo and Cast thing for a minute, mm-hmm. because there was stuff I liked and stuff I didn't like about that storyline. So I like the fact that WWE tried some continuity. And they tried showing a little bit of patience. And instead of playing out a story week to week, they did it over four weeks. So they so they, they tried to spread things out. And I applaud them doing all of that. Um, I didn't like the payoff in terms of it felt forced to me. And it felt as if 
you know how sometimes you think about uh, with this man, they would say years ago that he already knew his end game and then he would work backwards. Yeah. Right. So it felt to me in this case, like they decided, okay, at the end of this, Enzo is going to turn on, uh, or Cass is going to turn on Enzo, but then they weren't sure how to do the payoff. Like that's how it felt. Yeah. So I didn't like how they had them in the ring. First, Cass is trying to get out of it. Like, yeah, Big Show clearly did it and let's move on. And then Corey Graves, of all people, hey, wait a second. Hey, I've you got, got you got to bring back footage. GTV for him if he's using all the security footage. He's but if he had that GTV. footage, you could. But if he had that footage, why did he wait until that opportune moment to go, um, excuse me? Like, I don't it, know it why. came. Why is he that? He hates Enzo. So oh, you think so? He does. He said it before. He, oh, yeah. I mean, if you remember, he said, I would love to shake the hand of the man who attacked Enzo Amore. And then Big Cass came out there and went off on him and then shook his hand. Well, you know what? I want to say one thing. Now, I, I know that, uh, again, on the post-Raw show, you guys were talking about Cass's promo and how it was a good heated promo and everything. I couldn't help, when that was going on, I couldn't help but look into their eyes, in, into Enzo's eyes and into Cass's eyes. They were distraught over yeah. it. Both of them were. When Enzo was tearing up, that wasn't because he was acting. He was tearing up because his longtime partner that he came up with through NXT was about to come to an end. And even when Cass was cutting that heated promo, his eyes were red. Did you see that? Yes. Because in real life, these guys are best friends, and they came up together, and they got the shot on the main roster together. And now they're being split, and who knows what the future is going to hold for Enzo. Obviously, Cass, they have plans for, but who knows what's going to happen with Enzo. I felt for those guys. That emotion was real in those guys. Because it was coming to an end, and uh, I was a little bit bummed out because I felt like as a tag team they never got a proper shot. You know, when they when they came out last year, they were really really over, and then they never won the titles, and then they kind of they, dropped they, off. After they that. could have been the Northern New Age Outlaws. They really could have been. They yeah. they were that good. Enzo's selling is right up there. One of the top sellers as it pertains to moves in WWE. Enzo has a great hot tag. They have charisma. Yeah. Poor booking will do that to you. When you book a guy hitting on another man's wife as a baby face, well, that, right. that's an issue. Right. It's tough. It is. It, and for them, who knows if Cass will make it as a singles guy. If he cuts yeah. promos like that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think Enzo should have been his manager. Like, I think they should have kept them together. Enzo... The promos he cuts, like you said, they're almost heel promos, the way that he delivers them. Dirt. So I, I think he should have been his manager. I was bummed to see him split up. And like I said, I could really see the emotion in both of them. You could tell they were both pretty sad about the whole thing. I read something on Reddit this week that I thought was interesting. Did you know that in the WWE shop, Enzo and Cass had more pieces of merchandise than anybody else, including John Cena and Roman Reigns? I can see that. They're appealing to kids. But I think down the line they could make Enzo his manager like they could go full heel with Enzo and be like he was right he showed me I was right and right, I'm helping could. him or even it be a ruse and they had plotted the whole thing to get Cass over maybe maybe Enzo didn't want to wrestle anymore I don't that that's way more elaborate than they're willing to go but yeah I yeah. think I think uh, Enzo would be a good fit on 205 live because they don't have anybody like him on that show they need yeah. somebody to talk and to be a big mouth, and maybe he can get himself over there. Yeah, I agree. He could work on 205, but I, I still think 205 Live doesn't really have legs. Like I think eventually yeah. it's going to run its course. Yeah. And a guy like Enzo, I think he's such a great mouthpiece. they got to make sure they don't you know, let him fall by the wayside. You know who yeah. else has a big mouth? 
Beautiful. Who's that? You're supposed to be subtle about it. <laughs> you can't be like. It was a good segue. Yeah, it was a good yeah, segue. Yeah, yeah, that was good, one. good man. Good one. Was good. I like it. I like it. Okay, you know what? I'm going to play into it. Uh, Jimmy Hart? Jesus Christ. Jimmy Hart? Guys, here's Vince Russo talking about some money he asked for. <laughs> you know I'm sexy. In 1999, you moved from WWF to WCW. Now, the the talk is that SmackDown was added to your plate, and you said, well, I want reciprocate. I want paid accordingly. Is it true that you asked for a raise from about 350K to 1 million for that? Bro, you want to know the truth about that, Sean? I do. I'm going to tell you the truth about that. Bro, you know how, like... Sometimes, like, you'll do something because, like, you just you want to get out of it. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know you're done with it, and you'll do something to, subcon- you know, like, uh, subconsciously to get out of it. Are, are, are we talking about you leaving WWF or Fightful here? No, no, no. I'm talking about – I'm talking about, bro – I think I was making 350 and yes, I did ask for a million dollars. Bro, I honestly think mentally and emotionally and physically at that time, I was done with the company. And I wanted Vince to say, no way, no how, and that would be my out. I really felt that way, bro, because come on, bro, a million dollars was ridiculous. And I threw a ridiculous number out there. And it wasn't about the money. It was the fact that he was running us into the ground with Raw. He added SmackDown without letting it Ferrar and myself know. So I threw out this ridiculous number because I think I was done. But then, bro, I'll never forget. Shortly after that, I went into Vince's office. I broke down. I started crying. I think I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I told him I wanted to move my family closer to my wife's family in Indiana because I was never home uh, and I wanted her to be closer for family. And uh, I'll never forget, bro. He looked me in the eye and I've said this a million times. He said to me, Vince, I don't know what the problem is. You could hire a nanny to take care of your kids. I was done right there, bro. It Done. You you don't you don't say that to somebody who loves their freaking family the way I loved mine. It wasn't about the money at that point. It wasn't about anything. It was the fact that he was telling me your family doesn't mean shit to me and this company needs to be your priority. And I said, no, bro, I left that office and I contacted J.J. Dillon. And I'll tell you this, too. When I made the phone call to Vince that I was going to WCW, one thing he said to me was, he goes, Vince, I was going to give you the million dollars. And I said to him, Vince, it wasn't about the money, and you still don't understand that. And he didn't, bro, because he had no conception, none of the importance of family. None, bro. So he didn't understand where I was coming from or what I was saying, but those words, we we were done. Done. So how, how long after that was it until you had spoken to Vince McMahon? Did you speak to him at all? Like, 
like a happy birthday, anything like that during your WCW tenure, or was it after that? Oh, no, I didn't talk to him at all during WCW. It wasn't until that time in 2002 where I almost went back. How much traveling did you do with Vince McMahon? Uh, bro, bro, that see, that's the thing, man. You know, Sean, I got to tell you, like, obviously I was on the road with him every week. But, bro, traveling with him was such a freaking drain. Like, everybody thinks it's such a glorious job and this, that, and the other thing. Traveling with him, bro, was the worst part of the job because you were constantly nonstop talking about the product on the way to the show, after the show, to the next town, in airplane galleys, at the freaking airport, you know, in the car, on the way. I, I mean, it was freaking nonstop, bro. When, when the show was over, and, you know, you would fall asleep in the back seat. You know, him and Shane usually sat in the front. I'd sit in the back with Ed. When you'd finally fall asleep after the show, bro, it would be the middle of winter. And he would crank the windows all the way down so you couldn't even freaking sleep. And that's what I mean, bro. When, when, you, when you give five years of that, after five years, bro, the tank's just on empty. Say a Vince McMahon had to go through fast food. What's he ordering? Oh, my God, bro. Bro, I could tell you this, man. There were a couple of times, like, we got stuck. And, like, you had to go to, a, you know, the, like the gas station, you know, and stuff like yeah. that. Bro, the only thing they would eat at the gas station was beef jerky. It's delicious. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's all they would eat gas station food-wise. Nothing else. That's it. Who mostly did you travel with, if not Vince? Vince, I, I'll tell. It was always Vince, bro. It was always Vince. Early on, though, bro, my my very, very, very first traveling partner when I um when I was writing for the magazine, uh, which I, bro, I had a great time, very memorable. I missed the crap out of him. Uh, was the uh, uh was the legendary Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel really? was my driving buddy when I first started working for the WWE. Bro, he introduced me to the Dairy Queen Blizzard. I never had a Dairy Queen Blizzard. Uh, he used to he used to freaking drive with his feet, which I got a kick out of. Uh, but I I, I love I love those days, bro. I love driving with uh, with Fink. Loved it. Are you surprised that Vince McMahon like pretty much just eats beef jerky on the road? Uh, no, but. Um, had Vince McMahon offered Vince Russo a million dollars, very nice. There you go. Had Vince McMahon offered Vince Russo the million dollars before Russo left WWE for WCW, Russo would have taken it without question. Yeah, he would I mean, have taken it. Yeah, he would have taken it. Yeah, and it's very easy for Vince McMahon to say after the fact. By the way, I would have given you the oh, money. Of course, He's gone. Right. I mean, for that amount, Vince could have probably moved a lot of her family to there of his wife's family to the location that, sure. that, he, and yeah, it's just, mm. yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the thing is for stuff like that, for you to insinuate your values on someone else's personal life and how they, how they, yeah, I don't have kids, but Jimmy, if no, I but were you got your, six cats. Yeah. You got yeah six cats, but Jimmy, right? if I were your boss and you said, well, this is affecting my kids, I wouldn't be like, well, do what I would do because no families, you have, families are different. Things are Agreed. different. Okay, it's time to get to the special announcement, Sean. Oh, okay. Are you ready for this? I don't know. So, 
I have here in front of me, and and for I'm going to try to for our audio listeners, I'm going to try to uh, be as detailed as I can. I have three envelopes in front of me, Sean. Oh God. One of them has, because I had to do this quickly because I've had a kid, as you know, and I've been busy, so I had to go a little on the cheap with this. So one of them has a yellow paper clip right there. One of them has a blue paper clip. Are you really of, about to play deal or fucking no deal with me? Uh, this is like, let's make a deal. Oh, like, let's make a deal. One has a red paper clip. Each one of these envelopes contains a special announcement, and you only get to, you only get to choose one. Pick one of these envelopes, Sean. What colors are going to be? Red, yellow, or blue? Since you just had a child, uh, a baby boy, I'll pick blue. You'll pick blue. In honor of your child. So if this is a bad announcement, it's your kid's fault. <laughs> You're ready to look for a job. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to open the blue envelope. He just hit a feast or fired on me. Now, I want you, for again, for our audio listeners, I want you to read this out loud. For our audio listeners. Okay? okay. Is it gonna Are be you ready? Heard? Yeah, sure. Here we go. Read this out loud. Oh, boy. Sean Ross Sapp. Is formally invited. July 27. To a Jays game at the Sky Dome? Absolutely. What? Now, once a so year, my friend. So soon after my last trip? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go back to the hospital and visit it again, John. Wow. So let me, let me, let me explain. So once a year, my company books a luxury box at a Jays game. Mm-hmm. And it's always one of the matinee games during the week, and we get a nice spread. And I, you're not a drinker, but we have open bar and all that, and we do it every year. This year, the game is on July 27 against the Oakland Nates. And I decided that I am going to fly you and your wife in. Oh, wow. I'm going to put you guys up in a hotel, and I'm going to bring you guys to the baseball game. Hopefully, you're free July 27. I'm also going to call Showdown Joe. and I'm going to have Showdown Joe come to the game. And I want to tell you this, Sean. I was talking to Lindsay this morning. Yeah. And I mentioned to Lindsay that I was going to bring you into Toronto and, and take you to that game. And we're going to fight. I get to fight Lindsay. <laughs> you know what Lindsay said? Lindsay what? said, I had vacation time scheduled for that week, but because of the game, and now because Sean's coming, I'm going to move my vacation. She is lovely. That's what she said. I got to meet Melissa kind of face-to-face today for the first time. Also yep. a lovely woman. Now you're going to get to hang with Nigel? Nigel, my boy Nigel. I forgot he even existed. He hasn't been. You get to hang with Nigel. And here's what I'm planning. So you and I off the air, we're going to talk about like fly-in dates and fly-out dates because I'm thinking that you and I do the podcast on the Wednesday live together. Hell yeah. And depending on schedules, maybe even the showdown show. Hey, I could. Maybe. We could push that, push the showdown Joe show back maybe a day or so to make it happen. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So I'll, hey. I'll talk to you off air about about schedules. But yeah, I'm let me know in. what days I need to tell my wife to have off. But yeah, I, I know you said it's on your bucket list to go to Rogers Center, which they now you know, Sky aka Dome. the Sky Dome. It's the Sky Dome, Jimmy. And so as soon as I book this year's, because we've we've done this like five years in a row for my company, but as soon as we booked this year's Jays game, I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring Sean in and come to the Jays game with us. So. Jimmy, I am gracious. I am thankful. 
Hashtag blessed. Special announcement, man. I wonder you said... how far the, the flight's going to be because if it's longer than 90 minutes, I got a new nickname. Oh, it's longer than 90 minutes. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. fly out of Cincinnati because I've already looked up flights. Awesome. So you got to fly out of Cincinnati because I'm going uh, out for Toronto as well at the, in September. Or no, Orlando, rather. I was going to say, what? No, Orlando. Too many O's involved in all this stuff. There you go. There you go. So what do you think, man? My special announcement. I'm pretty stoked. I've already texted my wife and said, listen, you need to get off. Last week of July. Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) What? Almost a little too graphic there. (laughs) You need to get off of work. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. The hashtag 90-minute man takes care of all that. She was gonna. Ebony, she was gonna text woo. you back. She was gonna text you back and say, "You want me to leave work now?" <laughs> Forget <laughs> July. How about right now? <laughs> so there, and and just just in case you're curious, the other two envelopes said the exact same thing. So. So what you're saying is, I have two more trips to Toronto to cash in on yeah. July 27. On July 27. So yeah, you do. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So there you go, man. What a I'll surprise. talk to you. I'll talk to you off the air about the day you come in and go out because you and your wife can tour Toronto if you want, go to Niagara yeah. Falls if you want, whatever you want. Exciting. Very yeah. exciting stuff. It'll be fun. Jimmy, it's been a hell of an episode. Yeah, man. We broke some that news was good. on the show. Also, before we go, this whole Hogan stuff. Yes. Let's talk about that real quick. So I have a friend who is very close to Hulk Hogan. And, uh, you know, he, I'm allowed to say some things, but I'm not allowed to say other things. And uh, but what I was allowed to say is that uh, it's basically Hogan's decision from uh, from what uh, we have heard. Uh, Vince McMahon himself has called Hulk, Hulk Hogan in the past and uh, said, we'd like to do business again if you're ever up for it. Hogan now is in a good place financially. He has the Gawker settlement and he also has a settlement from a botched laser back surgery. Which you uh, exclusively reported last year on yeah, Facebook.com. He got over $10 million for that. And I think the uh, – wasn't Gawker like 30 or something that he cleared? So uh, – well, maybe not cleared, but I think that was the amount. So anyway, he's in a good place financially, and he's also he also does a lot now of like memorabilia shows and signings and things like that. And he's got uh, the uh, restaurant that licenses his name as well. So he uh, he's in a pretty good place financially. He's also a little out of shape, I hear. He's over 300 pounds and so uh, apparently it's up to him. And I, I noticed a couple of people commented on the site and said, please tell me that it wouldn't be to wrestle. From what I understand, it wouldn't no. be. It would be it would be an ambassador type role. It'd be tough for but, me to believe he would ever be cleared to wrestle again. The extent of what I think Hogan would be cleared to do is to big boot somebody, grab him by the hair, chuck him over the top rope, maybe body slam a 205 live guy. Yeah. Yeah. No leg drops for sure. And that ruined and, his back. Yeah, and, and even though, again, even though he wouldn't have been an in-ring guy, I can understand Hogan's reluctance given his physical condition because his body was his was his commodity for so long that a lot of guys, once they get out of shape, they don't want to be on TV looking the way that they don't necessarily want to look. So, But anyway, yeah, that's what I heard. Also, guys, don't forget, Ring of Honor coverage tomorrow night, Friday night, that is best in the world. John Morehouse has uh, Ray Rowe and Hanson. They talk about a lot of stuff. One thing I'm really interested to hear that, that uh, John told me that he talked about was the dive controversy because Hansen is a big dude, a 300-pound dude, who does that stuff pretty often. They're going to talk about uh, the pay-per-view facing the Bucks. 
uh, how they formed War Machine, their uh, trips to Japan, all kinds of stuff. My interview with Silas Young, one of the great characters, I believe, in Ring of Honor, goes up tonight. We played Manly or Not Manly. That's up on the site, too, under our exclusives. Uh, if you've never checked out Silas Young, he's... If Magnum P.I. was a wrestler, there you go. After Jimmy. Scott Hall. Yeah. Jimmy, anything else to add? No, man. That's it. We'll talk off the air about things. I'll see you July 27. Guys, until next time, check out FightfulPods.com and Fightful.com. Head over to our forums. I'll be announcing the winner of our bro contest very soon. Start a topic over there on those forums. We really love how active you all get submitting uh, movie reviews entertainment tv music boxing wrestling hopefully hopefully we're adding sports soon i would love to be we'll, we'll go over there in the open discussion tonight guys and we'll talk nba draft so let's get over there talk nba draft until next time guys we're out this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.